Hey, hey, welcome back to Talking Direction. I am Nylon, the Associate Artistic Director of the Trauma League, and I'm your host today. Now, I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. I have the pleasure of sitting down with director and playwright Robert O'Hara, who has been ushering in new works and re-envisioned classics for over a decade. Robert has been essential in bringing new perspectives and stories about black bodies and queer lives to the American stage. He was nominated for a Tony for Best Play Direction for his work on Jeremy O'Harris's Slave Play, which to date is the most nominated play in Broadway's history. He has collaborated with some of American theater's best playwrights, like Christian Childs, on her world premiere musical Bella at Playwrights Horizon, and the bubbly black girl sheds her chameleon skin, a part of City Center's Encore series. Coleman Domingos, while with Happy at The Public, and Nicole Salter and Danai Guerreras in The Continuum, to name just a few. If you don't know his work as a playwright, I urge you to read some of my favorites from him, like Barbecue, Booty Candy, and Insurrection Holding History, to name a few. He co-curated Celebrating the Black Radical Imagination, nine solo plays at Williamstown Theater Festival in response to the vast realities and lack of opportunities for Black theater makers. After remounting a return engagement of Slave Play on Broadway, Robert set his talents on the retelling of the American classic Long Day's Journey into the Night by Eugene O'Neill at the Menenta Lane for Audible. And now this summer, it's been announced that Robert will kick off the 60th season of Shakespeare in the Park for the public with his interpretation of Richard III. Please join me in welcoming the director, playwright, and professor, Robert O'Hara, to Talking Direction. Hey, Robert. Hi there. Nice to be here. I think I want to begin by, I, I think you forged such a radical and nuanced and rebellious career, if I may say. Um, and majority of theater artists are usually ushered quickly into a box. And, and you do mm. that, you know, you do this one thing and the field has a tendency to make it hard for people to change and express themselves in their totality. But Robert, you have really never adhered to those rules or mm. those conditions of practice. And, and looking back at those early years as you were developing as an artist, I mean, I wonder, was that your goal? And where you are now, was was this the plan? Are you living the dream? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I I don't know if I'm living the dream, but I am. I'm living fully inside of uh, my life, uh, and you know, I, you know, I I, I actually feel like uh, I was in a box, although I know that in hindsight, it feels like I've been sort of like punching my way out of different areas. But to me, I do think that very early on, I was considered risky and, you know, out there and the gay playwright or the black gay playwright. And, and even those didn't mix. I mean, some people would ask me if a play was gay or was it black as if it couldn't be both. Mm. Uh, and so uh, what I'm doing now, I guess, is just being very uh, in the moment and acknowledging that I can only do so much and also acknowledging that I've sort of evolved into having other interests uh, besides what I had in my early 20s. Um, as every artist, I think, evolves, hopefully. 
absolutely. Well, we hope that yes. every artist evolves. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mentioned in my introduction the nine solo plays. Yes. Um, and that you created last summer at Williamstown Theater Festival. And and in in preparing for this talk, I came across an interview where uh, playwright um, Franz Luce Benson hinted that you that you had shaped a different opportunity into um, the Nine Solo Play Festival. And I wonder if you would talk about that a little bit and how that idea came to be. Oh, well, you know, I was offered a, a slot by uh, Amanda um, Greenfield, who was the artistic director at the time, uh, to do a new play, uh, to create a commission to do a new play uh, in a sort of three-play festival. Uh, and I told her I wasn't interested in that. But what I was interested in is uh, making space for other playwrights and other directors uh, to do their own work up there, that I didn't need to do a new play uh, at um, Williamstown, nor that I have the time to do a new play <laughs> at Williamstown Theater. But that it was a platform that I would love to use in order to give other people space. And so I think that's what Francis was thinking or talking about, and that it was initially presented to me as being one of the playwrights. And then I sort of took over and said, no, why don't we, I don't need to be the playwright or the director. Why don't we just open up the space and you give us the space to bring in more playwrights and more directors. Uh, and which they gladly did. I'm so glad that you spoke up about that, that you uh, expanded um, the idea and this opportunity into something more generous for others. Uh, yeah, I think it's important that you know, just because I can't do it doesn't mean that I can't contribute to it, that I can mm. facilitate, you know. Um, and I, I find that to be more and more the case because, you know, I do get a lot of things offered to me and I can't do them. And so I think finding a way to um, allow other people to take up that space has become very important uh, right now. I think, because if you don't, there was a, re I think there was a reason why I was approached. And so I wanted to sort of expand that reason to other people and not just let the opportunity go away. Absolutely. I've had the uh, pleasure to like hear you talk um, at talkbacks before. Mm. Um, um, and one in particular I'm thinking about, um, it was during Booty Candy. Um, and uh you put this idea in my brain. You said that um, it all happens in the room. Mm. And then you went on to explain and you started talking about how uh, rehearsal is work time and yeah. out of rehearsal is your time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and it sounds so simple, right? It's, I mean, like I was like, duh, but, but that is not how we work in this field, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should, you know? Mm. Um, and you were like, if I need to write, do that during rehearsal time. Yeah. Um, and this time is spent to 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 play, to um, practice the idea. And and I thought that was really holistic um, in in an era where I think artists are <laughs> coming with terms that they haven't been taking care of themselves for such a long time. Yes. And people are yeah. trying to find new language and new practices about how to 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 stand up in space and say, no, at you know, when I'm out of rehearsal at whatever time um this is mine i don't have to do extra work right and i wonder has that always been a part of your practice were you in a room and then realized why am i working this way i just wonder how all that came to be you know i think it once again it's about the evolving 
uh, and that I am a writer and a director and that I can't be a super person and that, uh, you know, my mother didn't go to work and then come home and go to work again that evening, like that she had the responsibilities to take care of. And most people go to work and then they come home and they take care of the responsibilities and they go back to work. But somehow as artists, we're supposed to carry everything, you know, with us out of the room. And I think that somehow that challenges within what happens in the room, right? If you're not able to sort of like fully engage in your life, or if you're sort of dragging your work and your artistry into the rest of your life, um, then what are you actually holding that space of rehearsal for? You know, I think of rehearsal as a sacred space, as a, a place where we all get together and refine, as you said, uh, what we can inside the room. And I and, and, and I want to inform that by having a full life outside the room, bringing something back into the room, right? Uh, and so I think that after a while, you know, this idea of let me carry my script home and study my script and prepare for that, and I'm, or let me rewrite this thing and stay up all hours of the night and come back with this new thing. And I'm just like, you know, uh, I do both. And I want to, just like every artist, be able to have a full life and have a full career. And they have to inform each other. And if I just, you know, mix and match them and have one sort of, you know, hold over to the next, it's not really me giving enough time, devoting enough time to being in my body and in my life, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's just uh, something that I think has evolved uh, after a while. And also there's a bit of, you know, laziness, I guess, because, you know, I commit so much to the room that I don't have a lot to, to commit after uh, a rehearsal. I, I always tell producers, you know, don't come at me right after a run through or right after a preview. You know, I, I'm going home. Like, I'm, I'm not here where you can give me three more hours of notes after a preview. I actually was there with you, right? And I was there before you got there. So there's, you know, I just tell, I tell producers that it's very important that you, you know how to present stuff to the director so that it can be heard. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think uh, uh, setting boundaries uh, as to the work that will happen inside the room and the work that will happen outside the room is, is very, very important. Even to, you know, not talking to actors about the work when they're on break, you know, mm -hmm. uh, allowing them to just break, you know, uh, is important. I, th I think I have some follow-up questions about what you're saying because I'm... Uh... I'm lifting to the heavens a lot of this <laughs> um and and the idea of um um this this out of work time right i don't think it's being taught in like the people who are coming through the trenches of academia or or the tradition of the american theater right and i wonder have you come across like res um uh, a, a pushback to this because I think what you're because I'm looking at your resume you've worked across this country mm. and I just want like I also think you're how much are you teaching people mm. as you're working also like this is doable mm -hmm. well there's always pushback but I think that the more you are uh, uh, around and the more people know who you are you sort of begin to walk into rooms and they go oh that's what you do so you know you know is this what you're going to push back on me? You know, when I come into the room, I sort of like to do a straight six hours and then I go home. 
I don't like to be all hours of the night. I don't like to, you know, I am so in love with this ending of the 10 out of 12. You know, uh, I have recently uh, um, been doing five day work weeks on the, the, the more recent productions uh, of that I've been working on. And I think it's just, you know, being very clear with people. And of course, you know, everyone wants what they want, but I always go, well, if you want to work with me, there's a, there's a way that I work best, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's for, it's for all of it. It's not a sort of uh, um, antagonistic idea is that I want you to know how best I can serve you and give you what you've hired me for and be able to uh, um, express and explore and challenge in the room and that I need to have my own space as well. And I do teach every so often. Uh, I wish I had time to teach more. I don't. Uh, but I do think COVID uh, and sort of the whole, you know, teaching on Zoom has allowed me to teach more than I normally would. But I, I absolutely, I love teaching and mentoring. Mm-hmm. I want to lift up the, it's, it's a, if you want me, it's a way that I work best and, and being able to articulate that. And I think I'm saying it for, the directing community that's listening to this podcast and and we have other disciplines for sure but um being able to identify that and and holding ground and and principles there yes i also and i and i think uh i I can hear some people in the back of my brain would if i don't ask you do you ever feel like you're getting it all done or you're not getting it all done does is does have you do you have a different mentality to that idea like because I think that's part of why people work outside these hours, right? They feel like they there's so much more to get done, and it's on my back. Well, you know, is that a reality for you? Do you just work different in that nature? Well, I just find that notion to be based in white supremacy. That somehow mm. a group of white people have determined that this is how it's been done, and everybody else got it done this way. So therefore, you have to work underneath those structures. And I just don't buy into that. I've never not had a play open on time. Right. I, 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 I'm aware that there's an opening day. I'm aware that before I came into this space, a bunch of people who have not consulted me have set a schedule uh, and, and a certain amount of days for tech and have set when deadlines are supposed to be. And so I find that to be uh, malleable. And, and, I, and I expect it to be. And so I sit and I speak with at the production meetings and I say, well, that's just not doable. I know you think it's doable because you made this perfect little calendar, but we can either change it now or we can get there on the day. And I go, well, that's not happening, you know? And I always tell playwrights, I'm not playwrights, but directors, I always say, you know, this sort of invited dress is just that it's invited. You can uninvite that dress, right? Mm. You don't have to have that dress. It's, invited. So I always make it clear to people I'm working on that if we are ready for an invited dress, then we will do an invited dress. And if we're not, then we're still, we're still going to do rehearsals. I mean, you always go to invited dresses and they are, they always, uh, you know, start by saying, this is still rehearsal, whatever. I have no problem going, we're not inviting anybody. We're starting <laughs> and we're staying in rehearsal. You know what I mean? To have that freedom. And so I guess the more you direct, the more you know the type of pace that you go at. And I go at a very 
quick pace so that I can start to see things in front of me and we can, uh, uh, as I call it, triage is a part of my evolutionist direction is that I sort of want to see stuff in front of me. And then I want to address the things, as I say to the actors, tell me where it hurts, right? Tell me where are those positions or those questions or those moments that you feel that you still don't understand or that you need help or you want us to sort of identify and concentrate on. Because so often we're so used to just concentrating on everything, you know, even moments that seem to be going pretty fine. You know, we tend to want to go over that over and over and over again. And I say mm. to actors, you know, we're always going to have a run through, a run throughs com- coming, but tell me where it hurts. And so the nature of triage is that you don't walk into an emergency room and say, I'm hurt and I don't feel well, because they'll just have you in a corner, sitting in a corner until you figure out what is wrong with you. But if you can identify that your elbow hurts or that your nose is bleeding or that your leg is broke, then I can actually put you in a position of going, okay, let's address that. So that's what triage to me is that I find a place in the rehearsal process to allow the actors to tell me where it hurts. And that is a time management thing. So we always address those issues first and then we do a run through, you know. And I, I guess that's always sort of like been very helpful to me over the years uh, and not feeling like I have to address all of the play all of the time at every rehearsal, you know. Just know that when I, I in my own rooms, if I tell people, you know, tell me where it hurts, I'll, I'll make sure to say it came from you. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> but um, I find that to be um, quite helpful to to pointing to the problem because it's the thing we're shy, we shy from the things that hurt us, right? Right. We shy from the things that we're we're uncomfortable, and it's like no, just let's point to it. Let's let's massage that out. I love. I just love that idea. And it also it gives the I think it gives the actors license. It makes it feel like they're involved in the rehearsal process. You're not just there to deal with what I find to be the problems. Right. Mm-hmm. Or just to, to solve the things that I don't understand, but that we're in this room and there's a brain trust of artists here. So making space for everyone to contribute to the betterment of this you know, piece of work. You know, I think of work as a sort of living organism. Right. And how can we make sure that the entire body of the work works? Right. And, and, I, and I, when we were doing uh, Booty Candy, there was a line that one of the characters says is that the work is work and it should be work. Right. You should have to work on watching what I am presenting to you. I don't want my work to be easily digestible. I want you to actually have to work it through your system and figure out why are you uncomfortable? Why do you feel a certain type of way? Why did you think that was funny? You know, so I like to challenge the audience as they watch the work. And in doing that, I actually have to challenge the room that is creating it and challenge myself Mm -hmm. as I'm creating it. I want to shift a little bit because, and tell me if I'm reaching here, but I've been noticing a trend of your work lately. I I, I, um, got to see A Raisin in the Sun, which was quite lovely, (laughs) quite lovely. then um, I've seen you, you've um, now put your hands on a streetcar named Desire mm-hmm. and Long Day's Journey into Night mm-hmm. and soon to be Richard III. And I, I think you're, you're making a mark in the classical canon, especially across plays that aren't only written by black 
bodies. Mm. Um, and it's a feat that I think very, very few, not think I know, very, very few black directors have had opportunity um, to do so. Um, and I and I wonder where are you now in your career as a director? Are, are you in this place where, where you feel ready to like reshape these classics? And um, especially speaking to your long days, which... Um, I mean, it was happening outside. It felt like it was just down the block. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you brought it to such a modern time. Mm. And so I just wonder where, where your association with the classics are now. Well, you know, I've always been ready for the classics. I have an MFA in directing, so I've always had an engagement with the classics. Is that the classics haven't been ready for me. And that the Ooh. people who have been <laughs> the sort of gatekeepers to the classics haven't been offering me. I mean, I don't run a theater. You know, so mm-hmm. if more people have been offering me Shakespeare, offering me uh, Tennessee Williams or O'Neill, of course, I would be doing it. But in fact, they were not offering people of color those productions. Uh, and so I had to go with where the work was. I go to where you offer me work. Right. And so it's not like I have somehow shifted is that I think that people have now um, become more comfortable with being uncomfortable in those works right Mm. stop Mm -hmm. acting them in some way as if they can't be mutated or be uh, a challenge or investigated outside of the white gaze right uh and and trying to be keep such safety hazards around these classical works you know there's nothing I, i i say this over and over there's nothing that i'm going to ever do to a work by Tennessee Williams or, or Neil that will destroy the reputation or the legacy of those artists, right? And we seem to have not an iota of a problem of white Europeans coming over here and dumping blood on the stage of these works or <laughs> dumping rain on the stage of these works or you know having a video camera chase them around. Like we have no problem if you have some sort of European accent to coming here and doing whatever you want to these words. But somehow Americans, we sort of have to be, you know, uh, um, gentle, right? And kind to them in a way and protect them. And so they protect them from people of color also. Uh, and I and I think more and more people are seeing that they don't need to be protected. I mean, Richard III is literally the third Shakespeare play that I've been offered in my entire career. The third. And there are many people who run Shakespeare theaters, Shakespeare festivals that would not remotely assume to offer me any of those gigs. Uh, So, you know, I just say again that the work was not ready for me and the gatekeepers were not ready for me. And they're not ready for most people of color to engage uh, with those ways because they're still trying to protect it. Um, But if I was actually offered more classical work and uh, I would be doing it. I would have been doing it much earlier. I greatly appreciate you speaking on this and and, and the points you're making. Because there is a, I, oh Lord, there's, as someone who loves the classics, there is a romanticism on how they should be done yeah. and treated and staged, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when these plays came out, they were dangerous. Yeah. Um, exciting. Um, um, people were saying, this is taboo. Um, yeah. Um, the, the, Freaking Cattenton and Roof is Cattenton Roof. I think about as, as I, I I wouldn't like I've I've seen productions of it now and I go it's not dangerous. But you know we were all 
having to fight when it first came out going you can't put a gay man on stage yeah. <laughs> um and you know it was outly gay the, but the also the crazy thing is that these works are also done by these incredibly complicated uh, uh white men right tennessee mm, williams mm-hmm. was out of fucking control O'Neill <laughs> was out of control i mean i can't imagine being in the state that tennessee williams was publicly right uh and his demons and alcoholism and whatever and walking into places and having people do my work right so these plays were not written by some wallflowers right and these people who sort of like you know had no demons inside these plays were written by demons right they had they dealt with demons inside them and these writers were dealing with their demons right and yet we sort to put this sort of fence around it and say, you can't touch it. And I'm like, no, they are messy. All of them Mm, are mm. messy. And I'm investigating the messiness of it because I'm also messy. So why are you trying to clean it up? And once again, when you let European directors come over here and be as messy as fuck with them, but somehow I'm supposed to have a kid gloves, hand off, you know, and just do it uh, the way it's written. And I think, you know, uh, once again, it's a level of white supremacy that somehow white people are able to do certain things. And then when you give an opportunity to a black person or to an Asian person or the Latinx person, that somehow we're supposed to uh, uh, follow in, uh, along the, the traditional line. Other, And if we don't, somehow we're reinterpreting it. You know, and, and, and so, you know, I when you said, you know, my interpretation of Richard III, well, I think that anyone that does Richard III is doing their interpretation of Richard III. But somehow Absolutely. it becomes Robert O'Hara's Richard III. No, this is still Shakespeare's Richard III, right? It's still O'Neill's Long Day's Journey into Night. But you want to somehow separate me out, right, from the experience of actually doing the play by making it Robert O'Hara's Long Day's Journey into Night. And I'm like, as a playwright, I find offense in that because I didn't write any of those words, nor did I change any of the words to Long Day's Journey into Night, right? I just edited out and carved out a different experience, which the state generously allowed me to do, which I was in shock when they said I could do it. (laughs) But, you know, it's almost as if I'm doing my versions of shit and every other white director is directing shows, you know, but this is, but I'm going to go back. Cause this is what I mean by, I think you are, are, are carving such a radical and nuanced career. I mean, I just think you're, 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 you're calling the spade a spade. Um, and you're really, um, pushing the truth and the reality of just what is in the room. You calling that playwright messy is completely correct. Tennessee, we we have heard the stories of Tennessee Williams in these streets, yeah. um, and out and, and I love out in the uh huh uh huh, and I love that you are the way you're shaping the classics right now is is my hope that I watch less uh, people of color run from them and yeah. run from them because because they, they feel unattainable or it's not their experience because I just think we're all that messy right life Absolutely. is that messy and grand and I find why these pieces have hidden the canon and I, and. and because they have captured such a large array of life. And I just go, I wish, I hope our artists see um, um, their totality 
in these pieces yeah. and especially as you continue to resage them and i'm urging you to keep going on keep doing it um i appreciate that great well, thank you um i think i'm now just curious though are there like uh shows or some classes that you want to direct in the future is there anything like on your list where you go i need to touch that play well see if i tell you it then the room <laughs> is that i'm going to be doing it there are some plays that i have the rights to uh mm-hmm. that i'm going to that i'm in the middle of you know uh, uh pre-production or looking at casting and looking at people who might be able to come along and and help put that on the stage so there are all these places but you know i just directed uh uh slave play again in in LA, which is sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, so this idea that somehow I've sort of left, you know, the new place. I have two new plays also of my own that uh, are in preparation to be seen. So I'm still doing that. I think it's because, you know, uh, whatever you're doing is the box that you're in, right? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And so because uh, there's this sort of, uh, uh, because of COVID and certain things sort of like backed up onto each other that, you know, there was Raisin in the Sun and then there was COVID. So we did Streetcar Name of Desire on Audible. And then after that, there was still COVID. So we did, you know, uh, Along this Journey, but in there, there was uh, the, the slave play and everything. So there definitely are, and there's, I'm actually in the middle of developing a new play uh, uh, by this fabulous playwright. Uh, uh, and it's just like, there's so many different things that are sort of like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about, but I can't talk about at the moment, uh, only because, you know, I, it's not my place to right now. But yeah, I mean, there are definitely classics and definitely new plays that I'm working on. I'm so excited about Richard III, only once again, because I rarely have a chance to investigate Shakespeare, you know. And that has always been something that sort of is held aloft over everybody's head as sort of like, you know, the unattainable. And you and you, you say any Shakespeare playing, everybody has an idea of what it's about, how it yep. should be done, who's who's the audience and, and all this stuff. And I sort of like, I have to shut all that out, right? You have to, especially with classics, you sort of have to go into the room and shut it out. In a new play, you don't know what the audience is going to take away from it. You don't know how they're going to come to it. You may be able to sort of manufacture an imaginary take, which is sometimes how you do as a director. You decide who this audience should be that you're directing towards and and, and you go in that direction. But with a sort of classical work, you sort of have all of that information already on the table and you have to shut it out if you're going to investigate it yourself, you know. Uh, with a group of people that are exciting to you. I want to talk about process a little bit, especially um, as someone who like writes and directs, and then you also direct um, other artists' work. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you would share some similarities and differences you experience in your process of doing, um, doing both. Like, are, are, do you have a, a way now that you navigate someone else's work versus your own? I guess, you know, I, uh, I take care differently uh, another playwright than I do myself and that I know the pace at which I work, right? And, uh, you know, for instance, you know, uh, I actually uh, encourage a playwrights to leave the space, to come and go, to not sit there and watch every moment being created in front of you, right? 
but to come back with fresh eyes, to look away, as I say, you know, and I, I think it's so important to look away and have a different experience. Go see a movie, go read a book, go walk through a park or what have you. Let this go and come back and see what we've discovered inside your work as opposed to you waiting for us to uncover the nuggets that you've left for us. See what else we can find inside there that you didn't even know you brought into the room, right? Mm. Uh, and so that's ex always exciting when working with another playwright. And also not just you know saying this doesn't work, but actually investing in what is on the page and showing them other things that may not live on the page, right? Um, for instance, in, in Slave Play, there's a moment uh, in the first act that I sort of brought all of the couples together in this sort of uh, ecstatic moment that's not written into the play at all, but it becomes a sort of joy fest in a way, and it sort of overwhelms the situations of any individual act. Uh, and so that's something that we sort of found in the room that is not on the page. Uh, and that's a sort of joyful thing uh, that you can give to playwrights. Now, when I'm directing my own work, I can't really do that. I can't really look away. So I have to maintain a privacy for the playwright part of me, right? And this goes back to me going, if I have to go and write something, then the rehearsal has got to stop. That I'm not going to tell the director you direct all day and then the writer will come into the space after you're done and take up the rest of your night because that's also taking up the director's time. So the rehearsal is built to do the work and therefore I'm going to use that time to do the work. And if that means the playwright needs to stop rehearsal in order to be the playwright, then I'll do so. Um, so I think that's a, a main difference. Uh, I don't have to stop rehearsal if I'm not writing the play uh, to have the playwright go off and sort of fix a scene or uh, investigate another moment in the play. Um, and it sounds logical, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's, you know, especially when you do both, you do sort of have this sort of, you know, uh, he-man or uh, superpower uh, complex that you have to do it all because your name is writing and directing but you also have to protect both those parts of you. I always say, I'm not a playwright who wants to direct and I'm not a director who wants to write. I am a director and a writer by right, right? And so I'm not dabbling into any situation. I know what both those jobs are and I have to honor both of them, especially if I'm doing them both. Um, Absolutely. And there's a way I have learned to speak with writers because I'm a writer, you know? And there's a way I have learned to give the writer grace and not knowing and not having the answer and not having to uh, fix, you know, but just let us see what the play is. And if this is how you want it, then this is how it will be, right? Um, allowing that level of grace and not having to sort of try to, you know, make something work that may not work. And the playwright may not see that it isn't working and it just may have to live with not working. Hmm. We're uh, almost out of time, but um, I got two more questions for you. Yes. Hopefully they're fun questions. Um, I wonder what artists are on your bucket list that you are looking to work with one day? I really would love to work with Viola Davis. <laughs> mm. I'm working now. Oh, I have worked with Audra, which was a joy. And, and, and we're talking about other projects. Uh, 
but I really love, I, I, I love to have people who I sort of saw on the stage and then uh, have them see them go into other arenas and sort of and uh, bring them back with some exciting a new thing like I'm doing with Deny. I mean, Deny was uh, it, it, when I was asked to do Shakespeare in the Park. Before I even thought of a play, I thought of Deny uh, mm. because I think that she is truly an extraordinary actress, and I've always wanted to work again with her because I worked on her first play that she wrote and acted in, uh, and so this is her. Uh, she hasn't been on the stage in ten years. And so when she said that she would do this, I was thrilled uh, to be able to do that. So those two people are two people I am excited to work with. Uh, and so I, was that the question, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let's let's put that out into the, the zeitgeist of the world. Let's make that happen. Yes. Um, and I wonder what advice would you give your younger self? Hmm. I would give my younger self is that I would just say that you deserve to be here. And, and know that, that no one's giving you something that you don't deserve. You are enough and you deserve to be here. That is a mantra. Mm. Oh, I think that's a lovely way to end. Uh, Robert, you have served up a meal today. <laughs> <laughs> and I thank you so much for every bite of it today. Um, I'm sure many of us are going to be feasting on this for some time. Have a lovely, lovely day. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Talking Direction. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing while you're here. Also, let us know what you think. You can follow us on all social media platforms with the handle at Dromley. Talking Direction is a program of the Drama League of New York, America's only nonprofit home for directors and the audiences they inspire, offering essential services and resources to artists in their time of need. Please join us in this effort by visiting dramaleague.org and click donate. Or better yet, be a part by becoming a member. Thanks for listening. 